Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. We are in a series called Champions, and we've been talking about living a victorious life, that we believe that in Christ, that in Jesus, we can live a victorious life. And we've said that the key to a victorious life is knowledge. I even used an illustration one, and I said, how different... Would it, would it be if you could go back to your past knowing what you know now? We said it'd be very different, right? But that can't happen. So what can happen is that God can give us the knowledge that we're going to need in the future now to be able to be victorious now. Now, here's the thing about knowledge. You can't obtain it unless you want it. You can't get knowledge if you are not willing to be taught. And let me just say this, that just because you get older doesn't mean you get smarter. People that achieve success in life are those that are open, hungry, and willing to learn from others. And the Word of God is filled with people that we can learn from. Look at what 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says right there in your outline. It says, these things happen, the things in the Bible... To them as an example for who? For us. Young people, young people, look at your uncle's life. Look at your aunt's life. Look at your grandma. Look at your parents. And learn from their example. You can learn even from the mistakes that they've made so that you don't have to repeat them. It says they were written down to warn us who live in the end of age. Now in this series, we're learning from champions of faith and what we're doing is that we're looking at their examples we're looking at their life we're looking at their choices we're looking at their attitude so that we can gain the knowledge from them so that we can be victorious in our life today the fourth sunday of the series if you've missed any of the other sundays you can go to our podcast we have a podcast you can listen to it on your way home it'll pull your car i promise you um, but week one through three are there now, the next champion of faith that we're going to look at today is a woman. Where's the women at? Wow, you guys sound louder than the guys. I'm not even going to ask the guys to shout because I'm afraid we won't match that. But the next champion we're going to look at is a woman. And what we're going to learn from this woman, and it happens to be a woman, how we can overcome adversity, how we can overcome difficulties, how we can overcome hardships. Anybody ever had a difficulty? Anybody ever experienced adversity? Now, some adversity is out of our control. There's some stuff that we cannot control. You may have been diagnosed with something. Um, someone may have done something. And there's some adversity, there's some difficulties that are just out of our control. And they happen because we live in a broken world, surrounded by broken people. But some adversity is the consequences of our poor choices. We don't like to admit those. We're good at admitting the poor 
poor choices of other people that bring adversity to our life. But when we say, no, I messed up. I shouldn't have acted that way. I shouldn't have moved in with them that way. And when those poor choices bring us adversity, here's what I know, whether it's adversity that is out of your control or the result of your choices, all of it is painful. All of it is difficult, you know? Have you ever whispered to yourself or to somebody, I just can't take it anymore. I had it. I it. Maybe you've said that about your marriage. Maybe you've said that about your goals. Maybe you've said that about your health. Maybe you've said that about your faith, about your ministry. I just can't take it anymore. And usually what drains us is difficulties. When opposition, when hardships, um, when adversity comes, that's when we are tempted, when we are drained. When we say, I've had it, I'm done, I quit. And here's what I know. I know that deep down inside of us, we're not quitters. We want to keep going. We want to keep pressing on. But doesn't it just feel too much? Doesn't it just feel like, again, here we go again? Didn't we go to counseling for this? Didn't I sit with them already and explain to them why their attitude, their choices are wrong? When are these kids going to get it? See, my heart as a pastor is that I've seen too many people being defeated by adversity. There aren't many people who are resilient in adversity. Most people get defeated by it, and when we are defeated by it, we end up frustrated, we end up discouraged, we end up dejected, and the worst thing of it all is that we give up hope. I'll never be healthy again. My marriage will never be fine again. My finances will never get back on their feet. My ministry will never take off. And we give up on hope. And we give up on faith. But here's what you got to know about adversity, okay? This is, if there's one thing that I would want you to take this morning is this. Adversity is that pressure that can either turn you into a diamond or turn you into dust. Because you know diamonds are formed out of pressure. So what determines when adversity comes, and adversity will come, if you either become a diamond, if you either become better or you become bitter, it's your attitude. It's the way you believe. It's what you hang on to. Now, here's, here's three things you need to know about adversity. They're not in your outline. You might want to write them down. Three things that you need to know, okay? Just just a short theological foundation about adversity, okay? Number one, because there's some false beliefs that some believers have about difficulties in God. And here's the first thing you got to know. The first thing is that walking close to God doesn't make you immune to difficulties. Just because you make God your Lord doesn't mean you won't have hardships in your life. God never promised to deliver you from adversity. He promised to deliver you out of adversity. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Troubles. Right? Psalms 34, 19 is not in your outline, but it says this. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In fact, the Bible teaches 
that before an adversity comes, before a need comes, God already has an exit. So, so walking with the Lord doesn't mean things um, are always going to go well. When, when, when adversity comes, one of the things that I hear people say a lot is, well, God is not all loving and God is not all good. That is absolutely not true. Adversity in the life of the believer does not mean God is not good, but it means that our enemy is cruel. It means that our enemy is out to get us and that he is evil and that he is who Jesus said he was, that he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So we have to change our beliefs about God and, and make room for difficulties because earth is not heaven. Number two, second thing you got to know about adversities is that God uses them to transform us. As we endure, you, let me tell you something. You know why certain adversities keep coming back over and over again? Because we keep failing the test. And God is not gonna God is not gonna graduate you till you pass the test. Okay? And what God does, although He is not the cause of the evil in the world, He does use it to form us. And you gotta know something, and this is so powerful. When adversity comes, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's wanting to make you more patient. He's wanting to make you more loving. He's wanting to make you more forgiving. He's wanting to make you more gracious. He's wanting to make you more disciplined. He's wanting to make you stronger. And God uses adversities to shape us and transform us. Perseverance in difficulties is proof that you are God's children. I didn't hear any amens, but that's all right. When we persevere, it proves that we truly are God's children. Let me tell you something. If your faith is of no help in adversities, your faith is of no good at all. If your faith is only good when you got a paycheck and you got a roof and everybody loves you, then your faith is no good at all. Because our faith is supposed to get us through the hardships of life. And then the third thing, and this is so awesome, is that adversity and suffering are only temporary. See, that's the hope that you and I have as followers of Jesus. When Jesus is your Lord, that is the hope that you have, that what we are suffering now is only temporary because there is really a good place called heaven, which is for those that have made Jesus their Lord. So here's what we got to do. We have to learn to respond to the now in light of eternity. And, and, and here's what you got to ask yourself. All right, all right, I lost my job, but do I also want to lose my salvation? All right, all right, my wife and I, were not getting along, and, and, and maybe we may not have a happy marriage, but does that mean that I also want an unhappy eternity? See, we have to learn to see our now in light of eternity. And that's one mistake that we make, that we get so caught up in today, and we get so caught up in the pain. Listen, God has promised us that the day will come where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more difficulties. But until that day, we're supposed to press on. We're supposed, you know, adversity, you know what adversity should make you, should make us want? It should make us want heaven more. I can't wait to make it a habit. I can't wait till I don't have to deal with this knucklehead of a boss. I can't wait when I don't have to hear a pastor scream so much. Adversity 
and the suffering that comes with it is only temporary. It's hard to see the bigger picture. The enemy is out to get us. He's out to harm our kids, harm our health, harm our, our mind, harm our heart. You've got to know there's going to come a day where all that is going to end. It hasn't happened yet. We still can find peace and we can find the comfort of the Lord in our difficulties. Here's the big question, right? We're all going to face adversity. Maybe you're facing it right now. Maybe it's in your financial area, in a relationship. Maybe it's internally. Maybe it's externally. Whatever it is, the truth is that we're all going to face adversity. So the question becomes, how do we overcome? How can we be champions when things get hard? How do we do that? Well, that's what Esther is going to teach us today. And the story of Esther is, is a really beautiful, dramatic story. I don't know if you knew or not, but Esther is a book that doesn't even mention God once. It doesn't even mention prayer. It doesn't even mention the temple, which was a big deal in the Old Testament. But nevertheless, although God is not mentioned, we see God at work and we see individuals that and Esther is a wonderful story that I want to encourage you to read it at home. It's, I believe it's only six chapters. And uh, if you love novelas, how many of you guys, don't, don't raise your hand, but, but if you love novelas, okay, that's like the best novela ever. Okay, What's a novela, Pastor? A, uh, a soap opera, okay? I don't even watch novelas. So, so, but it's a wonderful, dramatic story, okay? And Esther, let me give you a little bit of context about Esther before we go into uh, the passage that we're going to read. Esther is a young woman. It is believed that she was in her maybe 15 to 18 years old, and she became an orphan. And uh, one of her relatives uh, called Mordecai adopted her. Um, he was a cousin of her. He adopted her and embraced her. And, and at that time, King Xerxes, who was the king at that time, um, had a big feast. And he wanted to bring his wife out. He wanted to bring the queen out naked to show her off to everybody else, to kind of show off her beauty. She wasn't up for that. She said, I'm not doing that. They're not going to parade me. So King Xerxes was advised but by some of his people to say, hey, you can't let her do that to you. Because if the queen does that to you, can you imagine what the other women are going to do to the other men in our in our?" In our country? So he gets rid of her, and now they have this big, beautiful contest. There was 127, um, 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 uh, not cities, but um, kind of like counties that were under King Cersei's control. And they, they have this big, supernational beauty contest, and Esther enters that contest. Guess what? She wins. Bible tells us that not only was she beautiful externally, but also internally. That it wasn't just the outside. It was also the way she went about herself. Her character, the way she was. And the story, um, she becomes a queen, and after she becomes a queen, the story reaches a crucial point, a point of life and death, and that's where I want us to read in chapter 3, verse 8 and 11. Look at what it says. Then Haman... Approach and Haman's the bad guy in the story. Um, you, you can read the story at home, but just so you know, he's the, he's the bad guy. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, 
there is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the providence of your empire who keep themselves separated from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that, that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited into the royal treasury. In other words, he was blind or dead. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadida, uh, the Agagatite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with you as you see. Here's, long story short, here's what's going on. So this guy, Haman, he, the, the bad guy, hates Jews. And he hates one Jew in specific, and that is Mordecai, the cousin of Esther, because he refuses to bow down to him. Haman is the second in charge in, in the whole empire, and he refuses to bow down to him. So, so he goes and he schemes a plan to not only get rid of, of, of Mordecai, but of all the Jews. And he goes to the king and he says, you know, these people are different. These people don't, don't live like the rest of us. They, they have different beliefs. I think we should get rid of them. And one of the things that we learn about King Xerxes is that he gets manipulated a lot. If you read the book of Esther, he never makes a decision for himself. He's always being manipulated. He's always being moved by the advice of other people, whether good or bad. So, so Haman comes and he says, you know, we should get rid of the Jews. And, and Xerxes, being the king that he is, that he's so easily swayed, he makes this into a law. And now all the Jews are destined to die. And it was a law that was going to kill them all. And it was a very difficult situation, if you would agree with me, right? Because here's the thing. Once the king made, uh, he put his ring into something, it was a done deal. There was no one doing it. It, was, it had to be carried out. And the king had just signed the death of every Jew. And if there was ever an impossible situation, wouldn't you agree with me that this was it? And if you saw it from any human point, it was an a mission impossible. But here's the beautiful thing. Nothing is impossible for God. And if you know the story, you know that God ends up saving the Jews. Haman ends up dying in the pole in which he meant to, to hang Mordecai from. And the glory that Haman wanted for himself, God ends up giving it to Mordecai. So this is a story of an underdog. This is a story of the impossible made possible. So what was it that Esther and Mordecai did that enabled them to overcome adversity? What was it that they did that we could do in our situation to overcome adversity and live like the champions that God made? Well, they did four things. So let's look at them. Number one. Champions that overcome adversity decide to be part of the solution. To overcome adversity and live like a champion, the first thing we have to do is decide to be part of the solution. You know what comes naturally when adversity comes? To run, to quit, 
or to make the problem even bigger. You know how you can make the problem bigger? You know how? Very simple. By telling someone else before you tell God. If, 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 if somebody said something about you, and the first person you go tell is somebody else and not God, you just made the problem bigger. Because you know what that's called? Listen, big things happen when someone lets himself be used by God. And, and, and here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do, church. When adversity comes, don't just seek the solution. Seek to be part of the solution. Because what we want is God to do it for us. But what God wants to do is use you to be part of the solution. And when people allow themselves to be used by God, great things happen. Did you know that God can make things happen without you and me? But it has pleased them to use you and me as part of the solution. And when adversity comes, here's what you need to remember. There is something that God wants to do through us. And maybe, perhaps, maybe, we're going to look at this. You are where you are because God wants to elevate you. But first, there's got to be an enemy to overcome. God, so amazing. Look at, look at what Mordecai tells Esther, okay? He says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, and Esther was the one who told Mordecai what, what Haman and King Xerxes had agreed to, he sent back this answer. This is what Mordecai tells Esther. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from where? From another, you see the faith that Mordecai had? He says, but you and your father's family will what? Will perish. And here goes one of the most poetic, most beautiful sentences in the whole Bible. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Listen, if you quit, if you give up, if you run, nothing will happen. But if you decide to be part of the solution, God can use you in a great way. And I want to tell you that God has been preparing you throughout all of your life, every experience, every situation, every place, every skill, every gift, every ability, every education. God has been using it to shape you and mold you so that he can accomplish the plan that he has for your life. But the problem is that we often don't want to get activated. I, I think one of the, forgive me, I think one of the dumbest inventions. Have you ever seen that six-pack belt that you can put on to get a six-pack while you're in the couch watching TV, eating chips and drinking soda? You've seen that? I, I think that's how a lot of people want God to work. I, I just want to chill here, God, and you do the work. I want the result. I just don't want the process. Listen, we gotta we to, to overcome adversity. We gotta choose to be part of the solution. He did it in Esther's life, and he's doing it in your life, and he's doing it in my life. I want to tell you that every single one of you here, you're capable 
of God doing something great in your life. You've got to choose to not let adversity knock you out, take you out of the game. To let God accomplish His purpose. God wants to make a difference where you are. God wants to make a difference in your community. God wants to make a difference in your family. God wants to make a difference in this church through you. But you've got to want to become part of the solution. Can I tell you what's one of my biggest fears? One of my biggest fears is to waste time. I just turned 36 last Monday. Thank you for making me feel so loved. I just turned 36. I still remember when I was 18. And it seems that when I turned 18, 18 to the 36, I look at Mason and she's almost half my height. I'm like, what happened to the little baby that I took out of the, the hospital in that little, little car seat? My biggest fear is that one day I would be 45 and I would have wasted time. I would be 55 and I would have wasted time. And I think that should be the fear of all of us. So I'll tell you something won't bring you satisfaction 10 years from now. The theaters won't bring you satisfaction 10 years from now. Binge watching won't bring you satisfaction 10 years from now. Life is short. Stop wasting it in useless things. The best way to use your life is for the benefit of other people. And let me tell you something. There's no greater satisfaction than knowing that your life you give the Lord a round of applause. So if you want to overcome adversity, you got to uh, you got to become part of the solution. And the second thing is that champions who overcome adversity put God first. They put God first. They don't put their feelings first. They don't put their reputation first. They don't put their emotion first. They don't put money first. They put God first. When when adversity comes, you got to decide, first and foremost, I want to be part of the solution. And second, I am going to put God first. Look at what Esther did. It says, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do what? Same. They fasted because fasting is putting God first. It's saying, Food is essential to me, but more important than food is God. You know why it's so important to put God first? Because when we are in the middle of difficulty, we are always going to be tempted to want to find solutions somewhere else. We're going to want to drown in work. We're going to want to go back to our addictions. We're going to want to get distracted. And listen, none of that stuff works. You know that, right? You know that. You know you can try and go drink your sorrows away, but after the alcohol waste is away, they're still there. And chances are you made them worse. Right? Because while you were happy, you logged on to Twitter or Facebook and posted some dumb stuff. You, you, you want to know something? Adversity reveals what you truly believe. What you run to, what you go to when difficulty comes, reveals what you truly believe. 
Sometimes we say, God is my Lord. God is the mountain I run to. You'll never let me down. But hard times come, and the first thing we do is we go get a bucket of ice cream, go put on a sad movie, and cry ourselves away. Okay. What if, what if adversity came, and we said, Lord, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know where it's going. But I am going to wait on you. I am going to trust in you. What if instead of going back to, to the weed or, or to the drug or, or to the shopping or to pornography or, 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 or to getting distracted, what if we went back to spending time with God? And, 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 and here's what we would understand. That, that one place difficulties can't follow you is in the presence of God. It's in the presence of God. You know, we, we have a tendency, especially in such a country as America, where so much is accessible to us, to make God our last alternative. Have you ever heard people say, well, all we got left is to pray. It's almost like, it's, it's like prayers down there with poison, right? It's like, well, we might as well drink this poison now. Or have you ever heard people say, ah, I've tried so much, I'm just giving this Jesus thing a try. That's, that our first priority becomes our last resort. If you put God first, there's two big promises that he makes. There's tons of promises, but there's two big promises. Number one, you can fill this out in your outline. God promises to provide everything you need. When you put God first, God promises to provide everything you need. Look at, we, we know this verse, right? We know this verse. We know it up here, but we don't know it down here, right? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek what? First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as? Wow. Listen, God is not a genie. God is not the government that's obligated to give you what you think you need without doing anything. But God says, if you put me first, David said it a different way. He said, the Lord is my... But what was... Before God was a shepherd, he was what? His Lord. His Lord. And if you put God first when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through unemployment, when you've been diagnosed with cancer, when they've given you the divorce papers, when your kid is using drugs, if you put God first, God will promise to meet every one of your needs. The second thing that God promises if you put him first, is a great future. Did you feel that in? God promises a great, and I would add, a good future. First John 2.17 says, But the man who obeys God and does what he wants done will live what? Forever. And God has a great future, not just in the life to come, but in this life. So you shouldn't give up. Because here's the thing. God has never lost the battle. So if you connect with God, you won't lose. You may be attacked. You may be hard-pressed, but you won't crush. You may be persecuted, but not abandoned. You may be struck down, but you won't get destroyed. Amen. They did a study. 
they did a study, and in the study they found that the average person that lives 70 years distributes their years the following way. They sleep for 23 years of those 70 years. Teenagers more. Millennials more, better said. 16 years they work. Eight years they watch TV. Six years they spend them eating some more. Six years they spend them traveling some less. Two years and a half just resting a siesta. Okay? Four years sick. Two years putting on clothes and only six months with them. And we wonder why our world is playing with destruction. We don't focus on God first. We do not expect God's goodness in our lives. So how do you put God first? Well, you know this, but let me just remind you. You spend time with God daily. You spend time with God daily. You do it through scripture, through worship, through reflection, meditation, confession, silence, or even listening to a sermon. You know, I'm a very goal I'm a very goal oriented person. I like to set um, goals for the year and go after them. And this year, I only set one goal for myself. Just one. And I would read the Bible from cover to cover. And I would spend daily time with God. And I can't tell you we're halfway through the year that I've done that every day. But I've done that at least five of the seven days. And I am halfway through the Bible. And that is my only goal. Because here's what I believe. I believe in what Matthew 6, 33 said. That if I seek Him first, everything else is going to be added. So you put God first by spending time with Him. Okay? The second thing is by valuing the you know, I, I like to say this, and I know some of you are not going to like me after I say this. you got to make Sundays non-negotiable. The beach is great. God is better. Work is good. God is more uh, generous. Make Sundays non-negotiable. Yeah, I, forgive me, parents, but I find some parents who say, oh, you know, during the summer we kind of don't come as much because we like to take our kids out to enjoy the summer. You know what you're teaching your kids? You're teaching them to value fun more than God. When they grow up and don't want to come to church, don't wonder why. You taught them. You taught them. You taught them that if it was too cold, it's too cold to go to church. You taught them that if it was too hot, it was too hot to go to church. Tell you something crazy. I, I know this is crazy. I know, I know, I know. But just, when you understand how much God loves you, it makes you a little crazy. Okay? My family and I, even when we're on vacation, we go to church on Sunday. You know why? Because I just love God that much. And for me, church is not an obligation. It's part of my relationship. If coming to church is a burden for you, then you got the wrong God. If coming to church is like, oh, okay, I guess I gotta go because then I'm gonna get those calls. Where are you? Make God first by making Sundays non negotiable. Another way you can put God first 
is to serve him faithfully. Serve him faithfully. Get involved. If you believe and you're grateful for what God has done, serve others. And then the last one, the way you put God first is by being generous and faithful towards God in your tithes. I know that's not a popular topic in church to say, we ought to give to God, but the Bible does teach giving. And if you're one of these theologians that, oh, the Bible doesn't teach tithing in the New Testament, all right, I, that, that's true. Do you know what the Bible does teach? To give generously. And I don't know that 10% is generous. If you want to go by New Testament rules, generous is at least 50 or more. You want New Testament or Old Testament? I wish you all said, oh, we want New Testament, Pastor. We're going to get 50%. You put God, Jesus said, that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Amen? And then, here's the third thing. i got to hurry up. Champions who overcome adversity submit to wise counsel. You need wise counsel. You need godly, wise people in your life. Esther submitted herself to Mordecai. Look at what Esther 2.20 says. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Submitting yourself to wise counsel will take you far and high. If you don't submit to wise counsel, if you're know-it-all, nobody can tell me, it's my life, get out of my business, don't drink my Kool-Aid, let me tell you something, your Kool-Aid will kill you. Okay? Submission, here's what submitting means. Submitting means that we are willing to be accountable for our actions. That somebody can call us out and say, hey, hey, tone it down. Hey, 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 don't shouldn't be out that late with such person. But we don't like that. We don't like to be accountable. And here's why we all need accountability. You know why we all need accountability? Because every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us is broken in some area. And every single one of us has blind spots. Things that in our little crazy world, they make sense. But everyone around us is, hey, stay away from them. They're, they're kind of like that. So we need accountability. We need somebody to, to tell us, hey, you shouldn't be traveling with your girlfriend. We're not married yet. That's for marriage. Hey, hey, those pants, buy another color. No, I'm just kidding. Here's why. If you don't submit, if you don't submit, and by the way, even I have accountability partners. One of my best friends and accountability partners is Pastor Israel at Elakadidon Church. And we meet at least once a month and we ask ourselves a hard question. You watch that kid you shouldn't watch? Are you treating your wife? Are you giving your kids the time that you need? Are you spending time with God for your benefit, not just to prepare a sermon? Guess what? If you submit to wise counsel, you will become better. You will become better. The Bible tells us not to rely on our own understanding. Listen, some of us, we think we're fine, but you're not fine. 
you're not fine. You're just honest. You will admit that you're not fine. It's easy for you to be angry, but you don't like the results that your anger is bringing you. Look at what Hebrews 13, 7 says. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their Can I confess to you guys? We're that common church, right? We're, we're very real. I'm very real. You know what's one of the hardest things of being a pastor? That people receive my encouragement, but they don't receive my admonition. That as pastors, whenever we call somebody out, you know what they did? We'll find another church. This past week, LeBron James signed with the Lakers, right? I don't, I'm not happy with that. Sorry. I'm not a LeBron fan. I'm not a LeBron fan. I'm checking out of the Lakers, sticking with the Dodgers. But wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know, that's one of my blind spots. Pray for me, okay? Um, somebody posted, and I was so tempted, but God, God gave me wisdom. Somebody posted and said, you guys be hating that LeBron James switches teams every four years when you switch churches every nine months. All right, let's move on, let's move on. I'll get out of there. I'll get out of there. That kind of people are not in this church, okay? Number four, number four. Champions who overcome adversity move in faith. You are going to need faith. That's why I told you, if your faith is of no good in difficult times, your faith is of no good at all. And one thing you've got to hang on to when difficult times come is your faith. Look at what Esther did, okay? Esther 14, uh, 16, and then chapter 5, verse 1. After we fast, I will go to the king. I know it is against the law. Listen, it was against the law. In the king's court, there was people with swords. And anybody that tried coming into the king that wasn't called by the king was killed at that moment. Let me put it to you this way. It's like if you were an immigrant and you had to go to immigration to ask for somebody else. I know it is against the law to go to the king if he didn't call me. But I will what? They might not forgive you, but do it anyways. They might not want to talk to you, but do it anyways. They might reject you, but do it anyways. Do it because you have faith that God is going to move on your behalf. If I die, I die. On the third day, Esther put on her special robes and she got really sexy. When she stood in the inside area of the king's palace, in front of the king's hall, the king was sitting on his throne in the hall, facing the place where people entered the throne room. The story tells us that he called her in, and Esther was able to advocate for the Jews. Faith, listen, champions of faith are not superhumans. They're ordinary people who know that through faith, they can access God's power to do extraordinary things. And what we all need in moments of adversity is faith to say, I believe that God can do it all. Activate your faith. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, 
we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.